Welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that will help you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. Together, for you. Welcome to episode 30 of the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Key, and I'm happy that you're here. Uh, today's episode, I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Sadia Kukuswadia, who is a hematologist in Toronto, and she's made uh, amazing changes in her own metabolic health by switching to a lower carb diet, but now continues to help other people through her Instagram account where she shares recipes that she's created, as well as the meals that she's making. You can find her at my No Sugar All Spice Kitchen on Instagram, which is all one word. And she's has a Facebook group under the same name on Facebook as well. Before we get to the interview, if you are enjoying this podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to leave a review or a rating on iTunes. And don't forget while you're there to hit the subscribe button to make sure that you get all the newest episodes as soon as I release them. And without further ado, here's Sadia. All right. Welcome to the show, Sadia. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. So what I like to do is um, just start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and your own personal um, journey with how you ended up eating lower carb. Okay. So um, I'm, in, I'm a busy hematologist at a busy hospital, community hospital in Toronto. Um, and my whole life, I've sort of taken care of everybody else, my patients, my family, my kids, and not, was not taking care of myself. I had been putting on weight slowly over the last 15 years. Um, and when I was pregnant, I didn't have any sort of metabolic complications. So I falsely reassured myself that, you know what, I'm overweight, but I'm likely fine. I didn't get gestational diabetes. I had no hypertension. You know, everything will be okay and just sort of ignored myself. And then last year, I had an episode of biliary colic where I ended up in the emergency room. And I was going away two weeks later, so the surgeon in our hospital decided to see me quickly so that I wouldn't have to cancel my trip and took me to surgery to remove my gallbladder. However, when she got in there, she told me that my, my liver was so inflamed that the capsule was stretching, and she was afraid that even if she touched it a little bit, that it would send me into frank liver failure. I had gone into surgery with liver enzymes that were quite elevated. And initially, she thought I'd passed a stone, and that's why they were elevated. But how, however, when she actually was inside, she thought it was all fatty liver. Like, it was severely enlarged. It was stretching on the capsule. And she just said it looked very unwell. So she didn't take out the gallbladder, aborted the surgery. And then when I woke up, told me all of this and said, you know, the only way we can take it out is if you lose a bit of weight, your liver shrinks a bit, and we can go back in safely. I then went to see my family doctor when this happened, and she diagnosed me with diabetes, which I never knew I had. And so my hemoglobin A1C was normal four years prior, but in that time, it had gone up to 8.6. And I kind of thought to myself, you know what, I don't want to die of this. You know, I, I look after patients with cirrhosis. I have a lot of patients who have fatty liver who have gone on to develop cirrhosis, and it's a very uncomfortable, unpleasant chronic disease. Um, that you can't actually cure essentially. Um, and so that was sort of a big wake up call for me. And then I had been thinking about low carb for a while, but never actually done anything about it. And that was sort of the motivation to say, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I have to change what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. What was that like being a physician 
and then just it sounds like you were kind of blindsided by two significant metabolic health stuff that you had no idea were going on exactly and so it was kind of like it was a big wake-up call I mean I was clearly overweight my BMI was probably 40 or 41 at the time and so it wasn't like it shouldn't have been a shock but like I said when I was pregnant with my twins a few years prior because my hemoglobin A1c was normal and my oral glucose tolerance test had come back normal I kind of said to myself you know, there's probably nothing wrong. I should be fine. I can worry about the weight when I'm older kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so then how did you start making changes? So I'm very fortunate. My husband has always eaten very healthy and my kids were already eating quite healthy where we used to make home cooked meals for them. And so what I started doing was that I increased the amount of cooking where I was making enough so that I had food to take with me. Mm -hmm. I, I used to, on my way to work, stop at a drive through and grab something, did the same for lunch at work because I was too busy to get myself organized to pack things for myself, even though I was already doing it for my kids. Um, so I stopped going to the drive through That's the first thing that I did, was the drive through was a big no-no, and I made sure I had food with me at all times. Um, and within a couple of weeks, I noticed I was feeling better, my weight had dropped a little bit, I wasn't as hungry anymore. Um, I didn't, I had less migraines in those first two weeks initially. And so I'm like, okay, this is, I already feel a bit better. So I'm going to keep going. The next thing I stopped was sugary drinks. I had become a big pop drinker for my caffeine. I don't drink coffee or tea. And mm -hmm. I just stopped the, I just stopped the pop because it's just essentially a big load of sugar with no nutritional benefit. Um, and again, I noticed that I felt even better when I did that. So that's how I first started we're just making small, like one change at a time, sustaining it for a bit and then going on to the next change. And I think, you know, that's a great example because uh, we often are very black and white where we think we have to do everything all at once, right? And absolutely a great example of like really just simple, concrete steps at a time can start making you feel better quite quickly. 100%. I think I tell this to my patients too, you can't do everything at once right? You just can't. There's just too much going on in our lives to tackle everything at once. So one change and whatever changes we're making have to be sustainable in the long run. Mm -hmm. So I did the easier, what I thought was the easier stuff first was, okay, I'm just going to not count the carbs, but just cut out the junk food that I knew was bad for me, no matter, in, no matter what quantity I was taking it in. Um, and then sort of make further, more sort of harder changes that were more lifestyle changes. Mm hmm. And so how has your, um, your liver disease and your diabetes responded to the changes you've made? So my liver enzymes have completely normalized. They normalized, um, they were, the liver enzymes were in the mid 200s and now they're, they're down to 10 and that will happen within a four month span. And they've stayed like that. And my hemoglobin A1C went from 8.6 to 5.5. Wow. I was initially on some metformin, but I stopped taking it. And again, six months later, it's still 5.5. Fantastic. Um, and I think that, you know, in the low carb community, there's a lot of talk about fatty liver responding to low carb, but in the more general community, I don't think that's always recognized. And no, it's not. To, like people think, think of it on the surface of eating more fat to get rid of a fatty liver doesn't always make sense. Um, 
but metabolically it actually does and it's effective. It's 100% effective. I've talked to one of our uh, gastroenterologists at Humber and he himself, when he, he's a slim guy, active, but had a, had a mild fatty liver, he decreased his carbs and increased his fats a bit and it's gone. Mm-hmm. So he himself, but you're right, even within, the med- even within the medical community, it's not recognized. Once not recognized is how serious a disease it actually is. Absolutely. Um, we're seeing more and more cirrhosis and whatnot from fatty liver disease. And that, you know, dietary treatment can actually make a big difference before you become cirrhotic, right? And so, but it's not rec- well recognized yet within our communities. Yeah. And the interesting thing is a family physician, it's not very often when we do an ultrasound of the abdomen uh, that there is not some element of fatty infiltration of the liver. Like it's 100% so widespread now, um, which I think fits with just what our society eats, right? Exactly. I mean, when I think back at what I was actually eating, I was not actually eating real food most of the day. I was eating ultra processed food products most of the day because that's what was convenient and easy for me to grab. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't even recognized that slowly over time, I had made this change and it was getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And what do you eat now? How's that different? So um, the first thing I do is I don't eat all day, every day, and when I'm not hungry. So that's the biggest change. So I eat my first bit around 10 in the morning. I eat a little bit between patients just to get me to lunch. Um, And then I stop eating at 7 p.m. And I do this during the week. On the weekends, you're out and about, you're socializing, so I'm a bit more flexible with the timing. Um, I also don't eat if I'm not hungry. Whereas mm-hmm. before I would snack just because of boredom, you know, looking for something to do. And that took a lot of mental effort and, you know, mindfulness to sort of say, okay, I'm going to grab something to eat. Do I, am I actually hungry? No. Can I have a glass of water? Can I do something else? And within five minutes, I've forgotten that I went to get a snack and I'm actually not needing anything. Um, I now focus on whole foods. So, I mean, I do, you know, all of us need to eat some, you know, ready-made food and whatnot because we're all busy. But the bulk of my dietary intake is whole foods, foods that are prepped at home, snacks that come in the form of vegetables, a little bit of fruit. Um, I do eat cheese and eggs and avocados, but essentially it's whole foods as much as possible. And so that's an interesting, um, so like what you said you started with is you were prepping for your kids, but then you're <clears throat> brain would tell you you're too busy and you needed to like just quickly get your own food. 100%. Have, you, have you noticed, like, does this truly take you a lot more time than when you were going through drive throughs It takes a little bit more mental effort and maybe an extra hour, hour and a half in the whole week. Um, so my day-to-day meals are simple. We don't, you know, make grand meals. You know, we roast two trays of vegetables or now that the weather's nice, we grill them, put them in the fridge. They're always there. The mm-hmm. vegetables that we know the kids will eat and some extras that the kids don't eat, but we will eat. So no matter what we're eating, we can add some vegetables. Most of them are above the ground because they cook faster. We have vegetables ready to go. Um, I make stews and curries and stuff. You can make them in a big pot. Getting them on the stove takes 15 minutes. They cook on their own. Mm-hmm. And then when they're done, you just put them in the fridge. So I have enough for two or three days. And I, may, I sort of do that two or three times a week. And then we just mix and match what's in the fridge and eat it. 
Okay, so you rely a lot on advanced prepping and just kind of doing yes. bigger matches when you do. Exactly. Yeah, which is fantastic. So tell me how you started to get into, um, I know you're quite into cooking and, and some recipe development too. Can you tell me how you started to get there? I've always enjoyed cooking. Um, and then when I moved out to be on my own in med school, I was playing around a lot and just sort of entertaining my friends and whatnot. And then I had three kids who sort of back to back. So they took up a lot of my time, but cooking just became a, a necessity where I just had to feed my kids, feed, you know, feed the family and just have food in the house. and was not something joyful anymore. Mm -hmm. When I started having to sort of prep for myself, I knew I needed to have meals that I would actually enjoy, but that were quick to make. Um, otherwise, I wasn't going to be able to sustain this. I was going to fall back to the going through the drive through and just grabbing something. So initially, I just started cooking just day to day. Okay, we need to do this. And then I started saying, okay, you know, I like this food item. It's high carb. What can I do to what easy thing can I swap out to make it still flavorful? Give me the feeling I'm having something similar, but drop the car carbs, especially the processed carbs. Mm -hmm. And my husband, who's pretty honest with me, if something works or doesn't work, saying, this is pretty good. You should keep going. So I, I first just experimented with my family. And then I noticed that I was eating more and more of my own food because it was actually tasting good. And I was satisfied at the end of eating. And then when I was posting in my sort of private Facebook groups, just to say, oh, I tried this and this turned out good. People seemed encouraged. And then one day my husband's like, you're posting anyways. Why don't you just start an Instagram account? See mm -hmm. what happens. And so, so that's how it started. It was a way to keep myself accountable, essentially, and to sort of keep being creative with it. And now it's slowly just starting to take off. And so what are your best tips, like from doing this, on how to modify things so that they're lower carb, or if there's a favorite recipe that you want to still be able to eat, do you have some tips? So I think the key is to keep it simple when you're first starting out um, and when you're busy. So you don't, you know, I'm not going to spend three hours making a meal when I'm on call and running around and getting the kids to the activities and whatnot. Um, so keeping it simple, um, a little bit of meal planning. So that doesn't mean that I, I map out everything that I make for the week, but I know that you know, we need a certain amount of vegetables to get through the week, right? And if they're available in the fridge, we're more likely to use them and cook them and eat them than if we have to run to the grocery store every other day. Um, I keep my meats well stocked. I have a butcher nearby, but if there's a sale at the grocery store, at Costco, I buy in bulk. I portion it out and I put it in the freezer so that I can just pull something out the night before. When I come back the next day, it's been defrosted and it's easy for me to cook. Mm -hmm. um, same with eggs and, you know, cheese and we eat a lot of plain yogurt in our house. We keep the fridge well stocked with those things. I do a lot of grocery pickup. So the same order every week with just a few additions and it's just one click. You pick it up on your way home from work. So that eliminates some time on your part and it opens up time to actually cook. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's sort of the, you know, the basics. You have to have some, a little bit of planning but not every single thing written out. We sort of have a routine. We know what we need every week and we just buy that every week and it's always available. Um, and what was the second part of the question? Well, I just wondering kind of more for the actual, like making recipes work on a lower carb, um, like what your kind of favorite swaps are or 
So I, I went through the dietdoctor.com website because they have very good visuals of what mm-hmm. um, foods, you know, what foods are sort of low carb, moderate carbs, high carb, what to avoid, what to eat sometimes and what, to, what you can eat all the time. And so if a recipe calls for potatoes, you know, I know that rutabaga has somewhat of a similar texture, but is much lower carb than potatoes are. So I'll swap that out, try it, see if it works. Um, and often it will work. Will it taste exactly the same? No, but it's close enough that most people are not going to notice much of a difference, especially when you're using a lot of herbs and spices because those flavors take over whatever you're making anyways. Sure, yeah. And then it's, then you just need a carb swap for the texture more than the actual flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, same with beans. I know a lot of beans can be quite high in carbs. So I looked for, I just read labels, I looked for beans that had lower carbs than the ones I was used to using all the time, and I would just swap them out. And again, because I was using a lot of spices, I would get a texture that was close enough, and the flavor wasn't that different because the spices were, you know, the overwhelming flavor and whatever I was cooking anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so the dietdoctor.com website was very good for sort of learning what's sort of easy to, you know, to pick up for low carb and try a swap. And then the use of spices and herbs, because then that becomes a predominant flavor. And, you know, you're then just looking for textural swaps and not flavor swaps. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, And so you do uh, a fair number of vegetarian recipes, right? Yes. And I think that's worthwhile talking about because, again, some people think low carb means high meat. Um, Yes. And so I think it's worthwhile kind of talking about how that fits into your lower carb lifestyle. So again, um, I can't eat meat, cheese all the time. I don't eat bacon, so that's out. Um, and if I eat very, very high you know, fats, like a lot of whole whipping cream and stuff like that, I do get a little bit of discomfort, um, probably because my gallbladder is still in. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I need a balance essentially, right? So again, I went through the dietdoctor.com website, looked at the visuals of what, car- what vegetables were lower carb, and just started playing with those okay you know if i can up my you know eggplant and zucchini and bell peppers you know and whatnot you know will i always hit you know less than 20 grams maybe maybe not but those carbs are likely better than the ultra processed food that i was eating Um, they're more filling so i'm eating smaller portions because they're filling me up and if you take a bunch of vegetables that are very low carb even if you eat a bunch of them in one sitting you're still not getting a lot of carbs in that meal Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't, I didn't particularly carb count every single thing, but I just sort of focused on very low carb vegetables and increased my intake of those. And by doing that, I automatically eat less of everything else because I'm not as hungry. Right. And what do you use for vegetarian protein sources? Like we mentioned beans, but do you use other ones? Um, I've started to use tofu. Um, Mm -hmm. over the last few weeks and surprisingly my kids like it so I've been been using a little bit of that I will use eggs because I'm not vegan Um, so those are the two big ones that I use and then I do look for the lower carb beans and I may add that as well Mm -hmm. nice and so on your Instagram account what are your favorite recipes that you have on there so the most recent one has been the tuna cakes. I don't like warm tuna, but when I tried that, they were really good, and I've gotten very good feedback. And my kids polished it off, and my husband polished it off, and they keep asking me to make it again. 
Um, I I also enjoyed the, um, I made sort of like a bibimbap salad, which is pretty veg, it's actually all vegetarian. And, you know, I was actually surprised at how good it tasted. It was, you know, I mean, I made it look pretty and I cooked each component separately for the Instagram picture. But when I make it for myself, I just toss the vegetables in a wok and quickly stir fry them up. You mm-hmm. add an egg on top, you add some hot sauce and some flavorings and you're good to go. Um, mm. Those are my two big favorite ones right now. Nice. What about dessert stuff? Do you have favorite desserts that you make? I don't make a lot of desserts because I'm not good at baking. And also I find with me, um, if I'm even using artificial, uh, not artificial, but if I'm using sweeteners like xylitol and monk fruit and stuff, mm-hmm. I find it's harder for me to not eat later in the day. So it triggers me to eat more, not necessarily, you know, higher carb stuff, but let's say it's past 7 p.m., I find that I keep wanting to go back and eat later in the evening, even if I'm not hungry. So it obviously triggers something in me. So I don't bake very often because if it's not in the house, I'm not going to eat it. But the odd time I will. So um, I haven't posted this one on Instagram, but there was one that was sort of like a, almost like a cheesecake hack where they had uh, like a, a cheesecake base and they had some a little bit of peaches or raspberries on top. So that's a favorite. We do like to make banana bread. So I will use a couple of bananas in it and use almond flour. Um, and over time, we found that we didn't actually have to add as many bananas. So per portion, the carb count is actually okay. Mm-hmm. And I've stopped putting sweetener in it because the bananas add enough sweetness. And so we will, and it's easy. You mix everything in one bowl, you pour it in and you bake it and it's good to go. So those are my two favorite. One of my colleagues makes a really good chocolate cake that's low carb, but I'm not taking that on because I'm afraid I'm going to keep making it all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a really good thing to know about yourself because some people can have those low carb um, kind of uh, dessert substitutions and it doesn't affect them. Whereas other people, like how you're describing yourself, it, it sets off the cravings and changes hunger hormones in, in some way that it makes it harder for the rest of the day. Yeah. I found, um, I use an app called Headspace. Mm-hmm. Um, I used, started using it two years ago to help me sleep better. And I found it was very helpful with this because it kind of helped me focus my thoughts and actually mm-hmm. pay attention to try to figure out what was happening and why I was doing things. And then it makes it easier for me to then say, okay, I need to walk away from this because I'm doing this because of this. And so that sort of mindfulness part of it was actually quite important for my changes mm-hmm. that I think a lot of people don't think about. I agree. That's huge. Like the, the power of our thoughts and how they Mm -hmm. influence our behavior is huge. And one of my biggest areas of interest, um, but that's great that the, the Headspace app was helpful too. That's awesome. Um, so where can people find you? So right now I'm on Instagram and my handle is my no sugar all spice kitchen with no sort of breaks in it. And I have a, a Facebook group with the same name. Um, who knows, maybe I'll have a full-time blog at some point, but I've just started with this and it seems to be going well and I'm going to see where it takes me. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I think this, uh, your story, I think will be quite helpful for a lot of people. No, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. All right. I think she had some great tips in there, and it's really inspiring to hear how she made such significant changes in her life just by making small steps at a time. And of course, I loved her 
uh, a bit about how focusing on her thoughts and working on her thoughts made such a big difference as you know I'm a huge believer in that. If you are trying to make changes and you're finding it difficult to make the changes on your own, then that's where my personalized coaching uh, can make a huge difference. So I can show you how to make these changes and how to change your thoughts so that the lifestyle changes actually become quite simple uh, to put in place and also maintain. I'm really enjoying working with the clients that I am and I find it so inspiring to watch them make real change and have the confidence that they can keep making that change moving forward. And I would love to help you with that as well. So if you're interested, head on over to weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca on the work with me page. And from there, you can schedule a free introductory session, which just gives us a chance to chat and talk about how I could best help you. All right, have a fantastic week, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you again next week. And now for a quick disclaimer, this podcast contains general education information on weight loss for physicians. I'm not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace a need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing.